0: Section 25 of Discourses Biological and Geological by Thomas Huxley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Palaeontology and the Doctrine of Evolution Continued. But the growth of knowledge in the interval makes me conscious of an omission of considerable moment in that statement, inasmuch as it contains no reference to the bearings of paleontology upon the theory of the distribution of life, nor takes note of the remarkable manner in which the facts of distribution in present and past times accord with the doctrine of evolution, especially in regard to land animals. That connection between paleontology and geology in the present distribution of terrestrial animals. Which so strikingly impressed Mr. Darwin thirty years ago as to lead him to speak of a law of succession of types and of the wonderful relationship on the same continent between the dead and the living has recently received much elucidation from the researches of Gaudry, of Routemeyer, of Leidy, and of Alphonse Milne Edwards, taken in connection with the earlier labours. Of our lamented colleague Faulkner, and it has been instructively discussed in the thoughtful and ingenious work of Mr. Andrew Murray on the geographical distribution of mammals. footnote the paper on the form and distribution of the land tracts during the secondary and tertiary periods respectively, and on the effect upon animal life which great changes in geographical configuration have probably produced. By Mr. Searles V. Wood, Jr., which was published in the Philosophical Magazine in 1862, was unknown to me when this address was written. It is well worthy of the most careful study. End of footnote. I propose to lay before you, as briefly as I can, the ideas which a long consideration of the subject has given rise in my mind. If the doctrine of evolution is sound, one of its immediate consequences clearly is that the present distribution of life upon the globe is the product of two factors, the one being the distribution which obtained in the immediately preceding epoch, and the other the character and the extent of the changes which have taken place in physical geography between one epoch and the other. Or to put the matter in another way, the fauna and flora of any given area in any given epoch can consist only of such forms of life as are directly descended from those which constituted the fauna and flora of the same area in the immediately preceding epoch unless the physical geography under which i include climatal conditions of the area has been so altered as to give rise to immigration of living forms from some other area the evolutionist, therefore, is bound to grapple with the following problem whenever it is clearly put before him. Here are the fauna of the same area during successive epochs. Show good cause for believing either that these fauna have been derived from one another by gradual modification, or that the fauna have reached the area in question by migration from some area in which they have undergone their development. I propose to attempt to deal with this problem so far as it is exemplified by the distribution of the terrestrial vertebrata. And I shall endeavour to show you that it is capable of solution in a sense entirely favourable to the doctrine of evolution. I have elsewhere stated at length the reasons which lead me to recognise four primary distributional provinces. For the terrestrial vertebrata in the present world namely first the nova zelanian from the new zealand province secondly the australian province including australia tasmania and the negrito islands thirdly austro-columbia or south america plus north america as far as mexico and fourthly the rest of the world or arctogia in which province America north of Mexico constitutes one sub-province, Africa south of the Sahara a second, Hindustan a third, and the remainder of the Old World a fourth. Now the truth which Mr Darwin perceived, and promulgated as the law of the succession of types, is that in all these provinces the animals found in Pliocene or later deposits are closely affine to those which now inhabit the same provinces and that, conversely, the forms characteristic of other provinces are absent. North and South America perhaps present one or two exceptions to the last rule, but they are readily susceptible of explanation. Thus, in Australia, the later tertiary mammals are marsupials, possibly with the exception of the dog and a rodent or two as at present. In Austro-Columbia the later tertiary fauna exhibits numerous and varied forms of platterine apes, rodents, cats, dogs, stags, edentata and opossums, but as at present no caterine apes, no lemurs no insectivora, oxen, antelopes, rhinoceroses, nor didelphia other than opossums. And in the widespread Arctogeal province, the Pliocene and later mammals belong to the same groups as those which now exist in the province. The law of succession of types, therefore, holds good for the present epoch as compared with its predecessor. Does it equally well apply to the Pliocene fauna when we compare it with that of the Miocene epoch? By great good fortune, an extensive mammalian fauna of the latter epoch has now become known in four very distant portions of the Arctogeal province, which do not differ greatly in latitude. Thus Faulkner and Courtley have made known the fauna of the sub-Himalayas and the Perum Islands. Gaudry, that of Attica, many observers, that of Central Europe and France, and Lyde, that of Nebraska on the eastern flank of the Rocky Mountains. The results are very striking. The total Miocene fauna comprises many genera and species of catarrine apes, of bats, of insectivora, of arctageal types of rodentia, of proboscidea of equine, rhinocerotic, and tapirine quadrupeds, of cameline, bovine, antelopine, cervine and traguline ruminants, of pigs and hippopotamuses, of iveridae and hyenidae, among other carnivora, with edentata allied to the arctogeal Orecteropus and Manus, and not to the austro edentates. The only type present in the Miocene but absent in the existing fauna of eastern Arctogia is that of the Didelphidae, which however remains in North America. But it is very remarkable that while the Miocene fauna of the Arctogia province as a whole is of the same character as the existing fauna of the same province as a whole, the component elements of the fauna were differently associated in the miocene epoch north america possessed elephants horses rhinoceroses and a great number of variety of ruminants and pigs which are absent in the present indigenous fauna europe had its apes elephants rhinoceroses tapirs musk deer giraffes hyenas great cats edentates and opossum-like marsupials which have equally vanished from the present fauna. And in northern India, the African types of hippopotamuses, giraffes and elephants were mixed up with what are now the Asiatic types of the latter, and with camels and semnopithecine and pithecine apes of no less distinctly Asiatic forms. In fact, the Miocene mammalian fauna of Europe and the Himalayan regions contains associated together the types which are at present separately located in the South African and Indian sub-provinces of Arctagia. Now there is every reason to believe on other grounds that both Hindustan south of the Ganges and Africa south of the Sahara was separated by a wide sea from Europe and North Asia during the Middle and Upper Eocene epochs hence it becomes highly probable that the well-known similarities and no less remarkable differences between the present faunae of india and south africa have arisen in some such fashion as the following some time during the miocene epoch possibly when the himalayan chain was elevated the bottom of the nummulitic sea was upheaved and converted into dry land in the direction of a line extending from abyssinia to the mouth of the ganges by this means the deccan on the one hand and south africa on the other became connected with the miocene dry land and with one another the miocene mammals spread gradually over this intermediate dry land and if the condition of its eastern and western ends offered as wide contrasts as the valleys of the Ganges and Arabia do now, many forms which made their way into Africa must have been different from those which reached the Deccan, while others might pass into both these sub-provinces. That there was a continuity of dry land between Europe and North America during the Miocene Epoch appears to me to be a necessary consequence of the fact that many genera of terrestrial mammals, such as castor, hystrix, elephas, mastodon, equus, hipparion, anchitherium, rhinoceros, cervus, amphicyon, Hyenactos and machairodus, are common to the Miocene formations of the two areas and have as yet been found, except perhaps anchitherium, in no deposit of an earlier age. Whether this connection took place by the east or by the west, or by both sides of the old world, there is at present no certain evidence, and the question is immaterial to the present argument. But as there are good grounds for the belief that the Australian province and the Indian and South African sub-provinces were separated by sea from the rest of arctergea before the miocene epoch so it has been rendered no less probable by the investigations of mr carrick moore and prof duncom that austro-columbia was separated by sea from north america during a large part of the miocene epoch it is unfortunate that we have no knowledge of the miocene mammalian fauna of the australian and austro-columbian provinces but seeing that not a trace of a platyrrhine, ape of a procyanine carnivore of a characteristically south american rodent of a sloth and armadillo of an anteater has yet been found in miocene deposits of Arctagea, i cannot doubt that they already existed in the miocene austro-columbian province nor is it less probable that the characteristic types of Australian mammalia were already developed in that region in Miocene times. But Austro-Columbia presents difficulties from which Australia is free. Camelidae and Tapidae are now indigenous in South America as they are in Arctagia. And among the Pliocene Austro-Columbian mammals the arcto genera equus Mastodon and Machiridus are numbered. Are these post-Miocene immigrants or pre-Miocene natives? Still more perplexing are the strange and interesting forms Toxodon, Macrochinae, Typorium and a new anaplotherioid mammal, Homalodotherium, which Dr Cunningham sent over to me some time ago from Patagonia. I confess I am strongly inclined to surmise that these last, at any rate, are remnants of the population of Austro-Columbia before the Miocene Epoch and were not derived from Arctogia by way of the North and East. The fact that this immense fauna of Miocene Arctogia is now fully and richly represented only in India and in South Africa while it is shrunk and depauperized in North Asia, Europe and North America, becomes at once intelligible, if we suppose that India and South Africa had but a scanty mammalian population before the Miocene immigration, while well, the conditions were highly favourable to the newcomers. It is to be supposed that these new regions offered themselves to the miocene ungulates as south america and australia offered themselves to the cattle sheep and horses of modern colonists but after these great areas were thus peopled came the glacial epoch during which the excessive cold to say nothing of depression and ice covering must have almost depopulated all the northern parts of arctogia destroying all the higher mammalian forms except those which like the elephant and rhinoceros could adjust their coats to the altered conditions even these must have been driven away from the greater part of the area only those miocene mammals which had passed into hindustan and into south africa would escape decimation by such changes in the physical geography of arctogea and when the northern hemisphere passed into its present condition, these lost tribes of the Miocene fauna were hemmed by the Himalayas, the Sahara, the Red Sea, and the Arabian deserts within their present boundaries. Now, on the hypothesis of evolution, there is no sort of difficulty in admitting that the differences between the Miocene forms of the mammalian fauna and those which exist at present are the results of gradual modification. And since such differences in distribution as obtain are readily explained by the changes which have taken place in the physical geography of the world since the Miocene epoch, it is clear that the result of the comparison of the Miocene and present faunae is distinctly in favour of evolution. Indeed I may go further. I may say that the hypothesis of evolution explains the facts of Miocene, Pliocene and recent distribution, and that no other supposition even pretends to account for them. It is indeed a conceivable supposition that every species of rhinoceros and every species species of hyena, in the long succession of forms between the Miocene and the present species, was separately constructed out of dust or out of nothing, by supernatural power? But until I receive distinct evidence of the fact, I refuse to run the risk of insulting any sane man by supposing that he seriously holds such a notion. End of section 25